Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Sports Mill Podcast. Once again, I'm joined by Andrew Sullivan. Uh, all NBA today, mostly, at least. That's still going to be the topic for us. The finals are over. The draft is this week. And then we finally have four months almost of waiting until the beginning of next season. We got some things to talk about before then. We're going to start with the finals. This will be the last time you have to hear about the Celtics uh, from me for a while. Um, disappointing into the season for the Boston Celtics uh, and for me as a fan. We kind of talked about it solely uh, at the at the last podcast because we, we recorded after game five. But it just felt like Going into game six, I kind of said this, and I, I, I think a lot of people did too, that you know were analysts, that the Warriors had kind of figured out the Celtics. The Celtics didn't really have any answers that I saw where, oh, they could take this to another level. And we kind of saw their stars not play very well in that game six, especially Jason Tatum. And I said at the beginning of the series that I thought the Celtics were the better, deeper team. But as the series went on, I think that flipped. The Celtics bench gave them nothing, and the Warriors seemed to get better and better. And so by the end, I think the Warriors were definitely the better team. So, you know, sitting here after the finals, the Warriors win in six games. I think that's about right for how the series played out. I, I think, you know, the better team won, and we can debate whether or not those two teams should have been in the finals anyways or whether they were worthy. But, you know, I think the Warriors definitely deserved that championship. And, um, you know, game six kind of just felt like, a coronation, if you will, because the Celtics kind of ran out of gas. Yeah, definitely. I completely agree on the feelings towards the Warriors compared to the Celtics. I mean, going in, I also thought the Celtics were the better team, but that was pretty clearly not the case by the end of the series. I mean, first of all, Jason Tatum obviously had a, f- a few performances that is are definitely going to hurt the Celtics. And when you compare that to Steph, you know, historically Steph has maybe had one bad game a series, but usually not more than that. And so to start off, like the star player comparison, even if you think Jalen Brown is obviously better than any of the other guys in the Warriors, did, did not go the Celtics way this series. And then you're right, you mentioned the bench players. I mean, if you look back at the the box scores in those in those final games, guys like Grant Williams, those kind of players just completely ineffective. And those have been guys that the Celtics had relied upon throughout the playoffs. So they really had to change the way they played later on in the series. And it seemed like they were pretty much throwing everything out there that they possibly could to, to maybe find something that would work. Yeah. And the reason, you know, I was so disheartened after they, they didn't go up three one is because as the series went on, it's like with the Warriors, you'd never know who's going to have a good game. Obviously, Steph is going to do his thing, but their offense is set up in a way to where it's it's free-flowing and it's it's someone different every time. Whereas the Celtics, it was the same song and dance every game. And if Tatum and Brown didn't have awesome games, which neither of them ever did really, then you were always going to get the same result. There were no really other alternatives. And that's where it kind of got to the point where I was like, the Warriors just have so much more options because, you know, they had five or six guys who on any given night could score, you know, 15 to 20 points. And, you know, I thought the Celtics had that, but as we, we wore the series on, you know, it just, the bench didn't show up Tatum and Brown. Uh, I will say Jalen had a better series than, than Jason did for the most part. Um, Tatum kind of got worse and Jalen kind of got better. Um, so I think there's a lot to 
to discuss about it going forward. Obviously, we've already covered a lot of it. Um, you know, Curry, we we covered him last week. The the four titles now. Where does this put him in the pantheon of greatness? Um, I will say I think both teams got lucky to be in the position they were in. Uh, the Warriors not as much, I think, just because they didn't necessarily. I mean, you can say they dodged the Suns, but the Suns really, you know, they were fully healthy. They just lost. So, and, you know, the Celtics obviously played the Bucks without Chris Middleton. But that's the biggest question mark for me looking back at the playoffs is, you know, what, what would have happened if the Bucks had Chris Middleton? Because we might be looking at a second title. But overall, I think, you know, I'm pretty content with, with how it ended. I will, you know, ask you, I've had, a, I've heard a lot, you know, from the Celtics perspective, there's a lot of different ways to look at it. You know, so is this, from your view, is this more of a positive or a negative making it to the NBA Finals and losing it six games? Because I've heard it thrown out there. Would it have been better if Jimmy Butler makes the three? I don't think so. But, you know, this could do, I guess, damage to the Celtics going forward for how they lost, especially Tatum. What's your thoughts on that? And why did he maybe look so bad? I mean, still can't figure that out. Yeah, I mean, generally, I think more information is always better. If you're the Celtics, even if knowing now that you're in not as great of a position as maybe you once thought you were, I still think that's valuable going into the offseason. I mean, now you know, like, we need another guy that can initiate offense. Like, we, we can't rely on Tatum to be a system unto himself. You know, you t- you think about Steph for the Warriors, and they fit so many pieces around him partially because like he is the system like he he creates those opportunities for other guys and, and Tatum is a great player he's probably a superstar but he is not one of those guys like a even a Luka or a Giannis where the offense is completely built around him and, and so I think that showed itself some in the finals especially facing a really good defensive team in Golden State where it's a little more difficult for him to just go get his 25 without any resistance and um, create shots for open shooters, especially when they don't have a point guard, like a true point guard to initiate that for him. So his a lot of that does fall on his responsibility. But I still think you'd rather know that if you're the Celtics. I would still rather know that that's something Tatum needs to work on. That's something, you know, Brown needs to continue to work on his handle and you hope Smart continues to evolve as he, he has definitely progressed in that department. I think he's a much better floor general than he once was but you know those are things guys are going to need to improve on Tatum's going to have to improve on getting to the rim and finishing efficiently but at least you know like that that's how I view it. and the experience especially for a young team just I, I think that's in the long run it's very helpful yeah I mean in the long run Tatum is still 24 years old right you know LeBron obviously didn't win his first finals until he was nine years into the league um so you know, Tatum's still on an upward trajectory. And I think that in the long run, it's good for both their young stars to get to the finals. Obviously, you want to win. But I think when it came down to it, the Warriors finally kind of got that confidence. Like, we're the better team because we know we have Steph Curry, who can do everything on the floor. He's always going to be reliable. And then we have a bunch of role players who know their role. And because Tatum didn't perform to the level he could. It was kind of like, well, who's the next guy, you know? And Tatum and Brown's biggest problem, like you said, is they couldn't take care of the ball. 
Like there was no way they could initiate the offense. And if they, they did, you know, there's a, there's a high chance one of them's turning it over and Tatum's, you know, couldn't finish at the rim. It was just a myriad of issues that kind of came to a head at the end of the series when they weren't making shots. Where was the offense going to come from? And that's what they're going to have to figure out going forward is like, if we are going to build around Tatum and Brown, which I think they are, obviously, you know, what else can we add to make it easier for them? And, you know, I think both they have to add to their own games. Brown has to take care of the ball. Tatum needs to add a more complete offensive game scoring wise where he, he doesn't just, you know, have that step back or whatever he does fade away. Um, and they also have to, you know, add to the roster a little bit. I think they have some they, areas they can improve. Um, you know, I think they need to go get a guy that can kind of initiate offense a little more. Not necessarily score, but be like a playmaker point guard. They kind of had Derek White, but I don't want Derek the ball in Derek White's hands. And I, you know, that, I don't, I don't know who that would be. The guy that I've kind of got in my head is like a Malcolm Brogdon. Um, type guy who can shoot well enough but I think they do need a guy besides Marcus Smart who can take pressure off Tatum and Brown at least take care of the ball a little more yeah I would really like Brogdon there because I also think he keeps some of that switchability defensively which is something that Boston is has relied upon so heavily to be probably the best defense in the NBA Um, I, I think the biggest thing for me with Boston is in the right and this is really why I picked them to win the finals is in the regular season, they had stretches, and even in the playoffs, they had stretches where they they just were untouchable. Like they would just have these quarters where you know they'd go on a thirty to ten run. They had, um, and I'm sure you can speak to this as a Celtics fan. They had so many blowouts in the regular season compared to pretty much any other team, and especially compared to previous Celtic teams. Like it was completely different for them this year. The problem is, I think once you get to these very difficult playoff series. I, I don't think you can rely upon overwhelming these teams like Miami and Golden State that are so polished and so um, well kept up because they're they're playing just as good as you are. You know, you're not just going to overwhelm one of those teams. And so it feels like finding a way to play more consistently for them and not relying just on these long stretches of dominance is something that they'll have to figure out uh, at some point for them to to beat some of these teams at the top. Yeah, that's a really good point. They they have to find a way to have consistent offense when they're not rolling. Because their whole you know, the reason they went on those runs is because it started with Tatum and Brown getting on a hot streak. And then that allowed them to then pass to Horford and Smart to get going. So it's like, wow, look at all these guys the Celtics have. And the problem in the finals was, well, if Tatum and Brown never get going and they're turning the ball over all the time, where do we go? And there wasn't ever really that start. And you saw it in stretches. You know, they had the run in game one. They had the run in game five. But it wasn't consistent. So, yeah, I think you're right. They got to find a way to have consistent offense throughout because the defense is championship level and it's only going to get better. Um, so, a lot of positive for the Celtics. Obviously, it's disappointing. Um, and But I will say, you, you never know when you're going to be back. And that's where I've, I've heard, you know, for the Warriors this season, switching to them, it felt like a championship window for them. Um, I, I'm i not saying that the Warriors can't get back because obviously they still have, uh, you know, Steph, Clay, but they're all aging. 
but they do have a younger core coming up. So, you know, well, I have a, we're going to talk a little bit about this later, but looking forward to the Warriors, you know, is this kind of a last hurrah and, and almost like a, a cherry on the top of Steph Curry's career? You know, what's, what do you see this team? Cause like the Celtics can say, well, this was our first experience, you know, we're building for the future, but you know, what is the Warriors ceiling here? I think this might be the last time that we see Draymond and Clay as very key contributors in a finals team, but I don't know that that means the Warriors as a team are done. And you mentioned it because they have guys like Jonathan Kaminga, Moses Moody, and potentially James Wiseman coming back from injury to help fill some of those voids that are left by both retired players like Andre Godala, um, players that may leave in free agency like Kevon Looney, and then guys that are just starting to age like Draymond and, and Clay Thompson. So I do think that they have a, a good chance to still be one of the best teams in the West, even if Draymond and Clay are not at the same level. But I, I think Steph is going to age really well. I mean, the way he plays, as long as he can keep his conditioning high, he doesn't play super physically. Um, he relies a lot on just his conditioning and being able to to run around screens. And I, I mean, I don't think he's ever going to forget how to shoot a basketball. So that should that should be able to stick forever. So barring, you know, those ankle injuries that plagued him early on in his career, barring that like those don't resurface or, or he has other health issues. Like I think he's going to age super well for them. So yeah, I mean, I think they, they will look different and every year I think this team will evolve slightly, but I'm not going to say they're going to get back to the finals a ton. Cause you know, teams like the, the Clippers, like the Clippers are going to be really good next year. Um, who knows what the Lakers will look like. Like we have no idea. Denver is coming back. They've got guys coming back from injury. I still am really high on that team if they're healthy. Um, if Michael Porter Jr. can get get back fully going, and maybe Phoenix will will get it together and figure it out after their collapse. So um, it doesn't mean the Warriors' window is closed. It doesn't mean that that this was their one shot. But the West is going to be a lot better next year, assuming that some of these teams can get back healthy and ready to go. Yeah, I don't. I don't think it's impossible to see them back in the finals in the next couple of years. And I, I agree with you in the sense, especially for Draymond, like he, to me, you saw it in this finals. He's kind of on the downward slide of what he can do on the court still, just because his athleticism played a big role in it for such a long time. But now he's not even that athletic. I think Clay is actually going to get a little bit better. I don't really see him slipping that much from where he already was as far as like as he ages, obviously he will, but right now he's still young enough to where his game, I think will remain somewhat intact of what we saw in the finals. So, you know, I think that will be similar, but what, what you mentioned in the biggest point is that what the Celtics struggled with so much, I think in the playoffs was they had to go through three conference finals caliber teams in the first, you know, three rounds. And then by the time they got to the finals, I mean, Tatum Tatum played more minutes than anyone in the NBA by 500 minutes or something like that. And so they were just exhausted. Not That's not an excuse, but it's just what it is. And I think the Warriors could see something similar like that next year because the Clippers weren't even in the playoffs. The Nuggets weren't healthy. The Suns, they didn't face the Suns. So, and, you know, you have all these other teams that Lakers that could potentially... So I think, you know, the West is going to be a lot more difficult. And with an aging team like the Warriors have, that's a lot for Steph to carry. So they're going to need those younger guys to to step up. So, yeah, that'll be interesting to see because their road was easier. And Memphis, we didn't, I didn't mention, you know, Memphis is going to be back. So 
that's going to be the interesting thing for both these teams. And we'll talk about that a little later on. So I, I don't want to get into it too much, but I think for both these teams this year, it was a window of opportunity. The Warriors took advantage and the Celtics didn't. And it's kind of fitting for the Warriors as we wrap this up because it was a, it felt like a fitting end to the Warriors dynasty if it is the last time we see them because you had pre-KD, the rise, the ascension, the 73-win team losing to the LeBron then after winning a championship. Then the KD Warriors won two and then they kind of have to remake themselves and we, we see a fourth championship where Steph finally gets his uh you know moment in the sun if you will so I, you know in that in that case i can't be disappointed and if the celtics were going to lose to anybody i'm glad it was the warriors yeah steph's pretty hard to root against i still find a way as a thunder fan but yeah it, it, he, the warriors as a team are, are really enjoyable to watch and it'll be interesting to see how they evolve and, and i think the last point i want to make on this conversation is just that windows always close and open faster than we think in the nba I mean, if you if you look back to like 2018 or 2019 and look at the rosters, it, it looks like the league has aged about 10 years. I mean, Kawhi Leonard was on the Raptors then. You know, LeBron James was on the Cavs in 2018. Like things are so different now. And so projecting two, three, even like four years ahead is so difficult because there will be multiple teams later on that – rise up very quickly. Like maybe, you know, maybe it's Minnesota. Maybe it's some of the teams we're going to talk about towards the top of this draft later on, like maybe Orlando or Oklahoma City or Houston really hits on one of these guys and they arise quickly. Like it's so hard to project the future. And that's why I think it's so impressive what the Warriors have done, because I thought they should have gone to get another guy at the deadline. And like, I still don't know that maybe they should have, but they they won a title and they didn't even give up their young assets. Like that's almost impossible to do. I mean, you think back at these teams that win, it's always, you know, you mortgage the future for the present and it's worth it because you win a title. And they somehow didn't do that. Yeah, yeah, they did. They played it right. And I think a lot of that had to do with who they ended up facing in the playoffs, but they took advantage of, of the, their path and what they had in front of them. And, and, you know, they got a fourth championship. So, you know, hats off to them and hopefully – uh, I don't think this will be the last time we see them playing competitive playoff basketball, obviously. So maybe we'll get a rematch next year in the Celtics. I'd like to see the Celtics get some revenge maybe, but we got a long way to go before that happens again. All right, we're, that's going to end it for the NBA Finals talk. Warriors win in six. Um, disappointing for me, but I think an apt end to the season. And, and I do think the best team won. And I, and I thought they were the best team before all the injuries in the season. And then they kind of got back to that team, if you will, late. So I think it was a fitting end. But with that being said, we're going to have a little bit of questions about the offseason and what I think could we see in the landscape moving forward. I've got some questions for you really quickly. Um, number one, I'll just, I'll just get into it. Kyrie, he has kind of been an enigma for a while now, ever since he decided to leave Boston, it's like, we've never really been able to figure out what he is as a player, as a person, whatever you want to say. Now he's saying he's kind of given signals like he's headed out the door maybe at Brooklyn. So, you know, I want your thoughts, you know, what, what are his destinations or what do you think? Is there a team out there that should want Kyrie? Um, because I think, his value is a little less than we would normally think of a star player with that ability because obviously we know his offensive ability is, is you know, second to none. 
but I think his value overall is is lessened a lot because of a lot of other things and his fit overall with the team. So, you know, if he does decide to leave Brooklyn, you know, I've obviously heard Rosillo and them talk about, you know, some destinations, but what are we looking at here you think maybe for him? Yeah, I, I do think he ends back up in Brooklyn just because I, I think teams will be very scared to take him on when you're just so uncertain about the how often he's showing up to work. Like you know, most professions, like you're not showing up half the time and st- staying hired. And so there's definitely real concerns about that. And I just think it's going to be really hard for Brooklyn to get fair value for him because of that. I, I think most of these other teams are going to view Kyrie as more of a, of a distressed asset. And I don't really think Brooklyn can treat him that way because if, if they let him walk, they're basically letting him walk for nothing. So my gut tells me he'll be back with Brooklyn. I think he still has a close relationship with Kevin Durant, and I it, I haven't seen anything that's um, indicated that that has changed. I think if he did go, the most likely scenario to me would maybe be New York with the Knicks. They do have cap space. Um, they could potentially move some guys to acquire Kyrie, and they might be motivated to do that just in order to sell tickets and have um, have some more fun involved with their team. But even then, I'm, I'm not really sure that they can put together an offer that the Nets would be willing to take unless Kyrie just plays enough, puts enough leverage on them to where they're forced to, you know, just, just do a sign and trade and move on. Yeah, the, the way that everything has kind of fallen around the league, it doesn't look like necessarily there's a huge market for him. But I will say... We've seen some, like the NBA, you you talked about the window thing, right? And how it closes and opens and rosters appreciate, uh, you know, and age by 10 years at a time now, it seems like. And then that's where I do think I would not be surprised if teams make a jaw-dropping, you know, blockbuster trade just for the sake of it. Um, And in that case, you know, I could see um, – one of the LA teams, honestly, that, that that's been the rumor is is like could they swing for him? And obviously, that's a lot of ifs that you're taking on. But especially if I'm the Lakers, it's like what do I have to lose at this point? Because I'm a sinking ship with LeBron, and um, you know, I don't know. It, it, it's going to take a lot of logistical things to make that, those trades work. And if even if you're not talking about one of those, maybe like a Dallas or um, you know, one of those other teams. But I just I think for Kyrie, I don't know if it's going to work in Brooklyn. And so if that's the case, then really what is his best option? And I don't know. That's why it's so interesting with him. It's like I don't really care enough about him anymore to worry about it. But at the same time, it would be pretty interesting to see him back on like the Lakers with LeBron. Yeah, I, th- I think the Clippers would have the ability to make a pretty decent offer just because they have so many pieces surrounding with depth, you know, like Norman Powell, Robert Covington, um, even like a Terrence Mann, maybe like they have a lot of options to play around with. So they might be more likely to be able to make an offer where the Nets just say like, okay, let's just take some depth back. Let's put together a normal roster and see what happens. Uh, but yeah, it, especially the Lakers, like it's going to be really difficult for them unless they're willing to give up a lot of future picks. And I don't know that the Nets really value that too much because they're trying to win right now with Kevin Durant. So that match to me seems a little more difficult to, to make work. Yeah. All right. Next question I have. There's two shooting guards that seem to be potentially on the move. Or if not on the move, a team could really try to swing for them. So my question would be, if you're a team like the Heat, like the Bulls, or another team that's trying to swing for the fences 
and get in title contention? Would you rather have Donovan Mitchell or Bradley Beal? For next season or for the future? If you're trying to win a title in the next two to three years, I'll put it like that. I think I would probably still take Donovan Mitchell. Um, especially like if you're looking long term, I think the answer is very clearly Donovan Mitchell because he's still young. He's enter- he's going to be entering his prime soon. But I, I don't really think the gap was wide enough or even really existed enough between Beal and Mitchell last year to where I wouldn't just take the younger player and bet that especially in a new environment like Miami, they can help fix some of the issues that he had this past season, which was just like being completely uncompetitive defensively. Like if anywhere is going to fix that, I think it'd be a winning environment, especially like Miami. So I I think I would definitely prefer to target Mitchell over Beal. The question is just, and and there's already some buzz that like Beal's made his decision on what he wants to do. Um, I think that'll probably be returning to Washington, but that's the other thing is you can get Beal in free agency, probably maybe through a sign and trade. Mitchell, like you're going to have to give up a ton to pry him away from Utah. And so if you are the Heat, I would rather have Mitchell, but I think Beal is a far more realistic target if he actually is interested in coming down to Miami or anywhere else away from Washington. The reason I asked that question is because I, I do think that Mitchell – I. I'm not saying he's not going to be in Utah, but I don't know what more he can do for Utah and Utah can do for him. Like, I don't know a variation of this Utah team where Donovan Mitchell is the best player and and they're winning a championship. I just don't see it. I mean, I think he's taking them as far as he can go, even if he's not entered his prime yet. And they've, they've buried that roster. So I think that he has to move on if he wants a chance to win. And that's where I'm saying, I think I could see a team swinging for him because of that. Um, but I think that's an issue. The reason I asked that is because I think we're going to see a trade that's kind of like that this off season. So um, I think those are the two guys you could kind of throw around. All right. Um, I, I'll, I'll do two more that I have on here. We'll, we'll, we'll skip the last one. Um, James Harden. If you're the 76ers, what are you doing? Max, no Max. Oh, man. Are those the only two options? Well, I, I think I, – I bet he – I think op- he might opt another. into his player option, um, which is like a $47 million one-year thing. I think if I was Philly, that's what I would hope he would do just because it allows me to postpone the decision one more year and see if like with a full offseason he can get back to being more explosive and uh, more of the Harden that we saw in the past. And – with one year, I think it's much more realistic to just say like, yeah, we'll, we'll eat this big cap hit. Like it's worth us having the flexibility down the road. Man, that's so tough. Like if the, if it's only max or nothing, I don't know. Like I, I, I almost still feel like you match and, and max him just because I don't know what else you would do. Yeah. Like if, if you think you can max him and then move him, I think obviously that's the best option. But – I'm not sure that's realistic, but I just I hate the idea of giving up an asset that you're not going to be able to replace with anything else. And sometimes that can get you in deep holes. Sometimes that ties you to players that you don't want to be a part of. But if there's anything we've learned over the past few years in the NBA, it's that max contracts can be moved. There are teams that are not very competitive that are willing to take on that cap space if necessary. And I think in a guy like with when you're in a 
the prime of a superstar like Joel Embiid, I think you have to do everything you can every year to maximize the chances of winning a championship. And it feels like letting Harden walk would just be punting on a couple years of Embiid's prime. And I, I just, I would have a really hard time doing that, knowing how talented he is. The really tough question is, do the 76ers want James Harden? Like, it's not going to be... The, the concern for a long time now is, like, if, does James Harden want to be anywhere? Well, it's like, do you want James Harden on your team? And I don't know if the answer is yes. So, like you said, if he's there for one year, yeah. But my the reason I phrase it as max or nothing is, like, do you really think James Harden is going to is gonna play for any team if it's not for the max? And so that's why I guess my – it's like the 76ers are going to have to give him the max or nothing. That's their only option after this next year. Like, I don't think he's going to agree to sign for a lesser deal. Maybe I'm wrong there, but I don't see it, especially if he's going to get it from somebody else. Yeah, I don't I don't know if anyone else would give it to him, which I think might be why Philly could get away with giving him less. But I don't know. He's he's hard to read with me. Like it doesn't seem like he cares as much about that. Like it doesn't seem like he's as competitive with other players in the league of like, "Oh, I I want more money than him or I want more money than him." But I also think that he could just say like, you know, I'm a superstar. I'm a max player. That's what I've been my whole career. Like that's what I expect. So yeah, that, I I do think Philly needs to make sure they are not just bidding against themselves because I'm I'm really not sure there's another team that would be willing to give him even like very close to the max. So uh, to me, that's what they need to be most cautious about. Is like if you can get him for for cheaper, don't don't let his camp put leverage on you that's that doesn't exist. Yeah. That'll be interesting because it, it, I personally, I understand that you have to maximize Embiid. You don't want to let a player go for nothing. But, man, I don't know if I want James Harden on my team. I really don't. And I think the 76ers have other pieces in place like Tyrese Maxey, um, you know, the, even Tobias Harris to where you could think, you should think long and hard about is James Harden the best direction for this team to go. Um. So, yeah, that's going to be interesting. Obviously, if he picks up his option, we'll, we'll delay that a year. All right, last question I have. We kind of, I kind of hinted at this earlier. You know, it's easy with recency bias when all the power rankings come out after the finals. You know, to no surprise, a lot of people have Warriors 1, Celtics 2, right? But I don't know if it's that black and white. So, my question would be, you know, would you right now, even after watching those teams play in the finals, would you have those as one and one in their respective conferences? Because I'm not sure I have either of them at the top. Yeah, I think for me it's probably Bucks Clippers one two. Yeah. Um, it, it, with with the Clippers coming back with Kawhi, Paul George, I think the deadline acquisition acquisitions they made went under the radar because they didn't necessarily have as big of an impact on the playoff race, but. Like I already mentioned Norman Powell and Robert Covington. Those are big additions for them. Those will make big impacts next year. Uh, I think their roster is as deep as pretty much any roster in the NBA. And then on the other side, Milwaukee, I still think Milwaukee, it's not. It's definitely not like a for sure thing. I don't, I don't want to discredit anything that happened in this postseason. I still think Milwaukee might have won the title if Middleton was healthy. Like I think that was very realistic. I mean, they took Boston to seven games without him. Who knows how it goes against the Warriors? I'm not just going to say they automatically would win, but I think they would have had a really good chance. And so those would be my one and two. Obviously, Giannis is the best player in the NBA, so I'm going to trust him. Um, 
I'm going to trust him anyways. And the Clippers to me just feel like an extremely deep roster. And that's not like, that's nothing against the Warriors and the Celtics. I think both those teams are pretty high up there as well, but I think those would be the two teams I would favor going into next season. Yeah, I'm kind of with you on the, I'm definitely with you on the box. I think the Celtics, the East is, is kind of a, um, it's kind of a, a, the the bowl the pool looks really deep but then when you stick your hand in it's not as deep as you think almost because those teams that look really good at the top and are deep are to me are kind of little flaky like the bulls this year the hawks it's like are they really that good or are they just fake so i think the celtics actually have an easier path to stay at the top but the bucks i would say are the best team the warriors i could see them being one next year and i could see them being five like it's just it's you know, the Suns are there. The Nuggets are there. We don't know what the Lakers are. We don't know what the Grizzlies are. So, Luka's still there. So, it's, they, to me, it doesn't, it didn't play out this way this year. But the West next year is kind of going to be, if healthy, really hard to come out of. And, like you said, the Clippers made so many good playoff moves. Like, Robert Covington and Norman Powell are playoff guys. And, that's going to help them if Kawhi and Paul George come back healthy. So I'm glad we agree there because it's so easy to say, well, the two championship teams, of course, they'll be back. But look at this year. The Bucks and the Suns didn't get back. And you don't know what's going to happen with injuries. So would not be surprised at all as much as I hope the Celtics get back if we see two completely new teams left in the finals. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. All right. Thank you for, for doing that experiment. Uh, I think there's – it's not going to be one of the craziest off seasons we've ever seen, but I think we could see some things shake up. And, and that's, if that's the case, then we'll have a lot of interesting storylines to talk about next year. And there, there are some free agents. There's just nowhere near like some of the free agent classes we've seen, but we'll have to talk about, obviously, you know, the draft, we'll, we'll have to talk about how that shakes out. But I think, um, I think, you know, the, the, the finals ended good with, with the Warriors winning. And now we, we kind of have, you know, the draft right after with a lot to talk about, but you know, it's going to be, there's so much talent in the league now. It's almost like every team, it seems like, unless you're Sacramento has a silver lining. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and that's, I think free agency might not be as interesting, but from what I've heard, and obviously like I'm not connected in the NBA, I don't have sources or anything, but from like hearing people around the league speak about this, it sounds like there's going to be a lot of player movement around the draft more so than normal because not very many teams have cap space and free agents or the free agency class is not super deep this year. So it sounds like there's going to be a lot of movement with, you know, teams trying to win now or add another piece that are going to add a player by by cashing in one of their picks and there's going to be teams that are looking to just add another pick to to get younger, to get a cost-controlled player. I think there's going to be teams that move into the second round um that that are looking for depth pieces like the Lakers where um, another team may be willing to punt on that pick to another year or just straight up sell it um, if they feel like they can just sign an undrafted player that's just as good. So I, I think draft night is going to be very, very interesting in terms of just trades and movement. And that might make up for the a little bit of a lack of a super exciting free agency. Yeah, that's a good point. Really good point. And, um, yeah, it would be interesting to see how many how many picks are swapped, and that could obviously change up the draft a lot, and and what we've talked about with the rankings as well. Once again, thank you for for doing the NBA draft stuff. We'll have to 
like I said, talk about how it shakes out and, and then we'll have a long break from the NBA and we'll have to find something else to talk about. But it, it's been nice to to really get into it while, we, while we've had it. Yeah, for sure. The NBA draft might be my favorite thing to, to dive into. It's, um, it's one of my favorite things to look at. So glad to be able to talk about it. Yep. All right. Thank you, Sully, for once again, for always being willing to come on. Like I said, we'll, because of the length of this, we'll probably uh, have the draft be its own little separate thing. So, you know, look for that. But that'll be this Thursday, the NBA draft. Um, obviously, all of it is, is in one night. No lot different from the NFL. But um, hopefully we'll, we'll get an exciting one and a lot of what we've talked about will come true. But thanks, everyone, for listening. Uh, and we'll, we'll see you next time.